we're a family church. We can have fun, right, as a family? All right. Well, here's what I want you to do. I know that you're looking forward to things by the end of the year. My question to you is, what are you looking forward to up to New Year's? So think about it real quick. What are you looking forward to? It could be as simple as your next meal. That's significant. It could be as significant as, you know, being with family or maybe getting away from family, right? So just, just real quick, name something in your head, name something in your heart that you're looking forward to. Do you have it? All right, tell somebody next to you. This is what I'm looking forward to. Go ahead, real quick. Tell them to chat, chatter it up. What are you looking forward to? Just name it. Tell a friend. Tell a neighbor. All right, I, I'm sure everybody had something, and it could have been something you're not looking forward to, so I totally get that. Uh, but, but why do we do that as humans? You know, why are we looking forward types of people? Where does this looking forward come from? Any idea why we do that? I mean, it's in all of us. You know, for, for instance, I realize it's not just an American thing to look forward. You get into other places and other cultures, and people are still looking forward. Again, it could just be for the next meal. It could be the bucket list to the end of life and everything in between. But as human creatures, we, we look forward. That's what we do. In fact, we're actually hardwired for it, meaning this. When you woke up this morning and you opened your eyes, you actually were able to see far and near. You say, well, I didn't have my contacts in, my glasses on. Okay, when you got outside your house and you drove here, or you walked here, or you rode here, you had the ability to see beyond the horizon. I mean, you could see far away, you could see the mid-ground, and you could also see really close. Am I right? Is that how it works? I mean, we're hardwired to see distance and up close. But we also have the software, the internal orientation to look forward in time and to think about things up close. So for instance, we all had the same goal this morning, was to get here at the service. Now, how you got here and whether you dropped off children or used the restrooms or got the coffee or didn't use the restrooms, those kinds of things, you had the same goal. How do I know that? You're sitting here. I mean, you were looking forward in some way, some fashion, some form to get to this service. It's hardwired into us. It's software in our orientation. It's a human thing. But, but here's what I'd suggest. It's not just a human thing. It's also a divine thing. So, so where does this come from, this looking forward? Why do we all lean in that way? Well, the simplest answer is this. We're made in the image of a dreaming and planning God. It's one of the ways in which we express his image in all of us. And so we've been in this series of the I am, and we're, we're trying to get a sense better of who God is, and in light of who God is, who I am. And, and so we've been spending time in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, which says this, put it up on the screen here, it says, we are God's masterpiece. Now, again, I've asked you this several times. How many of you woke up this morning and said, Masterpiece, looked in the mirror? Yeah, you did. Did you? Awesome. 
Awesome. How many of you had a roommate, spouse, say masterpiece this morning? Anybody? No, no, no. We, we need to do that for each other. Hey, masterpiece, right? Instead, we usually tell the things that are not. I'm just your friend, so I'm going to tell you these things. Well, be a friend and actually tell, hey, here's the masterpiece. So God says we're masterpieces. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things, here it is, he planned for us long ago. God is a forward-looking God. He is a dreaming God. He is a planning God. And we are made in his image, and therefore we are goal-oriented people. We are forward-looking people. We can dream. We can plan. Now, here's the reality. Dream people don't necessarily like plan people. And plan people don't necessarily like dream people. How many of you are dreamers? Come on. Dreamers, yeah. How many of you are planners? Yeah, yeah. We're skeptical of each other, right? Because the planner hasn't seen, what? Hasn't seen a dream in executable form. A dreamer hasn't seen a plan that's birthed in a huge, huge cloud dream, right? God is actually both. He's a dreamer and a planner. He's had a dream over your life, and then he's had a plan for it to happen. And so part of the deal is if I'm a dreamer, I might need to have to be trained into how to plan, to put that in motion, how to get out of the clouds and get my feet on the ground. But if I'm a planner, I may need to learn how to dream a bit. And we pull those together. The reason those things are true for us, because they're true for God and we're made in his image. So put, put Ephesians 2 verse uh, 10 back up here for me, please. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us, and here's a great word for us, anew. That's not a typo. I mean, you could split that up and say he's created us anew. The insinuation is we're new creatures in Christ. And see, one of the great things that God wants us to know in a moment like this is that even if you come full today and thriving or you come empty and surviving, Jesus is good news, no matter where you find yourself. And God wants us to know the good news of Jesus, that it is actually a hope that becomes an anchor for our souls. It's actually freedom, freedom from fear, freedom from shame, freedom from worry. He offers peace, so if you're in need of peace, he gives a peace that passes all understanding, he says. Or, if you need love, he says this, Indeed, he is love. God is love. But he wants that love to be shed abroad in our hearts with depth and then in the breadth of relationship. And no matter what bad news is in your life or the good news that you're enjoying, Jesus is the good news and he brings good news to the bad news and he brings good news and makes that good news of your life even greater. And so I'm wondering this morning, just in the middle of a verse, this, this word anew, with a focus on Jesus Christ, maybe you came this morning lonely. Maybe you came this morning filled with shame. Maybe you came this morning longing for hope. Maybe you were looking forward to your life and you don't like it. Maybe there's bad news. Maybe there's great news in your life and, and you're just flourishing. The reality is Jesus makes all things better. Whether it's good news, he makes it great. Or the lack of hope, and he gives us hope. And we'd want you to know that this Jesus, this friendship with God, is nameable 
It's knowable. It's livable. And if you would not enter into friendship with God, it's available right now. And it's available right now forever. And it doesn't mean I won't have hardship. It just means I have peace in the midst of the storm. And if you've never come to the place, and if you've never had a day where you've said yes to friendship with God through Jesus Christ, today is your day. And it could go like this. God, I I am sorry that I've had my own plans for my own life and just the junk of my life has kept me at bay from you. And I recognize, Jesus, that you are good news to my soul, that what you did in your death and your burial and your resurrection has secured a relationship between me and God. And I can have forgiveness and freedom and all that comes with it. So God, I'm, I'm sorry. But thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. And I believe that you did that for me. And it's a simple request. Would you please come in to my life? So as we were praying for the service, we've, we've got like a dozen folks that just kind of get after prayer for our time together, praying for you, maybe not by name. We had a sense this morning that there are some who say, I am ready to say yes to a friendship with God through Jesus Christ. And if that's you, then you can say, God, I'm sorry. Jesus, thank you for doing what you did for me. Would you please come into my life? I don't want to miss this moment because you could hear a pin drop in here, right? I don't have any pins to drop. But maybe we just pause and if that's for you, we should invite Jesus right here, right now. Can we do that? So I just encourage you, you can close your eyes. This is for you. God, I do. I want to have friendship with you. I don't know what that's all about, but I want it. I'm I'm sorry for the things in my life that have kept me from you. Tell him that. And say, Jesus, would what you did on the cross, would you apply that to my life? Thank you that you died on the cross for me and you rose from the dead. I believe that. Tell him that. And then say, Jesus, please, would you come into my life? Here's what he says. As many as received him, to them he, be, he, he gives the right to become the children of God. He that has the Son has life, has life everlasting. I'm just curious, anybody this morning? Just say, hey, that, that was me. Just real quick. Anybody? It's great. Shall we continue? All right. Ephesians 2.10 gives us this picture of being a masterpiece, gives us a picture that God has been dreaming over our lives, gives us a picture that God's dream for us is nameable, it's knowable, it's livable, and that we've been chorusing that week after week, and we've been using this image of an arrow. And so think of your life as an arrow in the hand of God. It's made with precision. It's made with purpose. 
And the shaft of the arrow of your life represents the story of God and your own story and how it intersects. And then you've got that knock on the back that connects with the bow and that represents gifting and, and, and how when connected with the power of God, it helps the arrow to fly. And then you have the fletchings or the, uh, uh, the feathers, which actually represent helping the arrow to fly straight. And it's the passions that we have. And then last week we talked about the arrowhead, which actually it's the primary function of the arrow that when it hits its target, it uses its main purpose. And we talked last week about this masterpiece mission that we each have. Well, today we want to talk about the target, the goal. And you've heard the old adage, right? If you aim at nothing, you what? You hit it every time, right? Uh, I like that. I feel like I'm winning, right? Because every time, no, 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 that's not how. We, we want to actually set a target and we want to go after it so that we can, we can hit the target. Here's what C.S. Lewis actually says. You are never too old to set another goal. Yay, I heard that on the front. You're never too old to start another goal or to dream a new dream. Some of you like goals because it's a little more tangible. Some of you like dreams. You dream people, you love it. You know, you plan people like the goal. God actually wants to teach us how to have both and the power of winning with our lives because we can dream and we can set goals because here's the deal. It's one step at a time that we walk through life. It's one battle at a time that we win the war of our life. And so we have been looking at this character named David. And so just a little uh, update about his life. David was the shepherd boy back in the Old Testament, lived in, in Israel. He was the shepherd boy that became a warrior. So David fought a big dude named Goliath, right? So you had the shepherd boy, you had Goliath, and, uh, and then David became king, and he did some bad stuff too. And then God says towards the end of his life, this is a man after what? My own heart. And so we've been talking about the life of David, and we've been focusing on this big battle with Goliath. And for David, even though Goliath was a defining battle of his life, it wasn't the only battle of his life. In fact, his legacy was not left by simply winning one battle, but by winning several battles time after time. And in the end, David won the war. So we're going to go to 1 Samuel 18. I'm going to read some things to us here. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul sent him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So if you realize, David had just won the battle with Goliath. So several weeks ago, I actually had a guy come up to me and say, Hey, um, you told the story about David with Goliath, but you didn't tell us who won. I thought people knew the story, right? But David won with Goliath. And now we're picking up Saul saying, hey, because he won, we want to make sure that the kind of victory that David got, we want to go ahead and continue to get that kind of success. As they were coming home when David returned 
from striking down the Philistine, the woman came, women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. Sounds like a great greeting. And when the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousand. How do you think the king felt when this warrior was now elevated above him as king? And Saul was very angry and this was saying was displeasing to him and he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul is actually beginning to feel his insecurity towards this new warrior boy that was actually the run of the litter. And Saul eyed David from that day on and he moved, um, he, he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. So David wasn't just a warrior, he was actually a musician. And he, he wrote half of the Psalms. So Saul had his spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. Quite kingly. But David evaded him not just once, but twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed David from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. So he wanted David's success, but he didn't like him in his presence because he felt the presence of God with David, and that made him quite, not just insecure, but enraged. And he went out and came before the people. This is David, and David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that David had great success, he stood in fearful awe of David. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and he came in before them. So here's a big truth in the life of David that is so informative to us is David was prepared for the battle with Goliath because he was a shepherd boy and he was doing the day-by-day small-step things of caring for the sheep which led him to fight the bear, which led him to fight the lion, which gave him courage to fight Goliath and say God will be the avenger of us as the people of God. And he won that battle, significant battle as it was, but That was not just the victory of David's life. David had a pattern of success, so much so that Saul brought him close, put him a commander over the armies, so much so that the people of Israel were watching the success of David and were excited about his life. Here's what happened with David. David won with his life, and because David won with his life, catch this, the kingdom won with their lives. David won with his life, and the rest of the people, as a result, won with their life. So much so, if you did a history read of Israel, you'd find out that during this era, it was actually the golden era that began to set up success around the people of Israel, and it started with this shepherd boy that he won with his life, and then the people of Israel began to win with theirs. So where are we going with this in our conversation? See, the call today is for you and for me to win with our lives. Are you winning with your life? You say, I don't like my life. Then change it. 
begin to dream with God, who says, you're a masterpiece. I've dreamt over your life since the beginning of time. I have things for you because of how I made you, and I will be with you right in the midst. If you don't like your life, then change it. Philippians 2.13, God says, it's him who works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He wants us to have that life of peace and hope and fulfillment. And it happens one step at a time. So two questions for us. Question number one. What dawn of an error might be created with the legacy of your life? David... There was a dawn of a golden era for Israel because he began to win with his life. He had some setbacks. He had some difficulties. But David won with his life over and over again. And that success helped others to win with theirs. What dawn of an era might be created with the legacy of your life? Second question. How could you win with that life one battle at a time? 90 days at a time, one step at a time. See, there is a dawn that is setting for the church called Heartland. We're looking in the rearview mirror to see what God has had for us for the last 30 years. But right now, we're moving to a windshield view and we're looking out and the bright future that God has for us, just as you are a masterpiece, that God has planned good works for your life, Heartland Community Church is God's masterpiece as a part of the Bride of Christ. No more of a masterpiece than the churches around the city. They are masterpieces and unique in their own right as well. And God has a wonderful plan for Heartland, and he's beginning to unfold it to its leaders. And we're on the dawn of a new day. And I just want to declare that this morning. As Heartland, we have a bright future because God says we are a masterpiece. And he is taking us into a bright future. Just like he is taking you into a bright future if you will say yes and step in faith in that direction to say, how can I win with my life one battle at a time, one 90-day focus at a time, one step at a time? So today, my challenge is this, that each of us would create the dream that God has for our life. We'd make future now, and we'd do it one battle at a time, one step at a time. One 90-day goal at a time. You want to have clarity about your life, the clarity is in the singularity. To say, here is the next step that God has for me. It doesn't mean I don't do other things. It means I bring the arrow of my life to bear in a singular focus, and I hit that bullseye of a target that is set out for me. David had a big bullseye of his life in Psalm 27. He says this, this one thing I ask, this one thing I request of the Lord to see his beauty. David wanted to see the intimacy of God in his own heart and his own life. So I want to talk to us about the power of a 90-day goal. And uh, I came across a blog. It's actually by a friend named Will Mancini, who is a coach, who is a consultant. You, you may be familiar who he is. He's actually co-author of that process called Unique. This process of I am that we're in, his team designed it, so we've been borrowing from that. And he had a, a blog post, and it was entitled this, Simple Power of a 90-Day Goal, My Life's Greatest Secret. I don't work hard, 
I work focused. Listen to this. Top 10 panel, big accomplishments in 90 days. Number one, a Moscow architectural firm will build you an environmentally friendly 1,300 square foot home within 90 days of order. Pretty good. Number two, boot camp turns a couch potato recruit into a ready marine in just under 90 days. Number three, P90X. You heard of that? Sculpt your body through muscle confusion. Make it beach ready in 90 days. Through hikers walk the Pacific Northwest Trail from the Continental Divide to the Pacific Ocean within, you guessed it, 90 days. A human baby in Euro is fully formed and can open and close its hands and mouth by 90 days after its conception. Blogger Manish Sethi developed and lived out a plan to become fluent in a new language, in his case, Italian, in 90 days. FDR, his first 90 days in office in 1933, he saw a passage of Emergency Bank Act, the Federal Emergency Relief Act, created the Civil Conservation Corps, the Tennessee Valley Authority, and the Securities and Exchange Commission, and nominated the first female cabinet member, Frances Perkins. John Steinbeck wrote the first draft of the Grapes of Wrath in just 90 days in 1938. 2004 and 5, a Frenchman became the first person to sail around the world in a monohull vessel solo in under 90 days. On July 8, 1914, the Boston Braves, Red Sox, that might be a typo. Nonetheless, their club had a record of 29 to 40, dead last in the National League. Over the next 90 days, they won a whopping 74% of their games to win the league pennant and eventually a World Series championship. Mozart, do you know who that is? Okay. I didn't. No, I'm just kidding. Mozart composed two piano trios, a violin sonata, two piano sonatas, including his most famous, his last three symphonies, arguably his greatest, and three other pieces of music in just 90 days. If those things can be done in 90 days, what could you do in 90 days? What would be the single most important goal of your life in the next 90 days that if you applied your energy and focus to that singularity, brought your resources to bear, your passion, your story, your gift, your calling to bear on that would have the most impact for your life and helping others win with your life? You say, I just don't even think like that. No, 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 you do. You're hardwired for it. You woke up thinking about moving towards a goal. It's all in us, it's not just human, it's divine, and God is inviting us to partner with him to co-create the kind of life that actually makes a difference, makes a difference in the lives of others, and helps us to leave a kingdom legacy. People, does that sound possible? Does it sound exciting? Yes or no? I hear the reluctance. Let me say it again. God wants us to partner with him to co-create for the life that he dreamed over us since the beginning of time. He says, you are a masterpiece, and you can take one step at a time, one battle at a time, the singularity of focus in a 90-day goal, and you can actually win with your life so others can win with theirs in a way that leaves a legacy and advances the kingdom of God. People, does that sound like something you want? Yeah. 
You woke up this morning wanting that kind of life. We all want to do the big thing. We all want to make a difference. We all want to have significance and meaning. And for some of us, I know, we just want to get through the day because we're surviving. But God says to us, we're masterpieces, and he's created us to have a legacy and to partner with him, co-create with him, and we can set our attention on a goal and bring singularity of energy and resource to make that happen. So here's what I know about setting a 90-day goal. It's hard. There's there's four important days on the 90-day goal. Four important days. The day you start, excuse me, the the day you declare it, okay? It's the day you declare it. Second is the day you start. The third is the day you stop it, because we're not going to do it perfect, and then the day you finish. Let me go back through those. The day you declare it. I mean, the kind of goal that you declare is really, really important. It's got to be motivating. It's got to actually have synergy. I'm going to explain how you can do that and, and, and even let us borrow a goal or two to get, for, get going into the holidays. But the day you start is really important. Getting it in place so that it can be actually sustainable. There does come a day, and you know it, where you don't do that goal, right? Have you ever had that happen? You had a goal, you, you did three days, and you stopped. It's, the mo- it's one of the most important days because I need to determine ahead of time in my planning, what am I going to do on that day that I don't do my goal? I'm going to call a friend. I'm going to wake up the next day, and I'm going to start again. What is your plan to restart to accomplish a goal? And then the accomplishment of the goal, the day you finish, is one of the greatest days where you actually say, God, thank you, and you begin to celebrate and you bring folks into, here's what God did. Here's how I partnered with him. Here's how God showed up, the I am, as I walked through that kind of goal. So let me give you some examples. We're moving over a threshold into a celebration season. Thanksgiving, Christmas. You guys excited about that? Yeah, it's exciting. What if over the next 90 days, you just began to say, hey, I want to have gratitude as I move into that season of celebration. My goal is to be a more grateful person, but to make it tangible, you could do this. Let's say you're a student or a young professional. Maybe you say, I am going to have coffee or lunch with one of my friends and tell them how I'm thankful about their life. Or, or maybe, maybe you're a young family. And you say, I'm going to go on a date night once a week. Great goal, by the way. And we're going to share our thankful moments from the week and about each other. Or maybe once a week at our dinner time with our family, we're going to talk about the gratitude, thankful things about each other and about our week. And we're going to do that once a week for the next 90 days. Or maybe you love hospitality and you can't wait for the people to come into your home over the holidays. And you said, you know what? I am going to build anticipation with calls and texts and excitement. So each week, one step at a time, I'm going to remind them of what they're coming into, what to bring, how it's going to be fun, how thankful I am that they're going to be there. And you just have this goal of gratitude as you move into hospitality. Does that make sense? Imagine the kind of people we'd be if we won with gratitude in our lives. That'd be a way to borrow a goal. 
So three years ago, I launched into, I want to win with my life one step at a time, one 90-day period of time. And I've had 12 90-day goal focuses in the last three years. Some of them have been, I need to lower my blood sugar from pre-diabetic to get it under control. Did that in 90 days. It's fabulous. I've had weight loss goals. I've had exercise goals. I've had formation of a team and make sure that we set up the right kind of relational rhythms and and strategic rhythms. But there's one in particular that came to my mind that I wanted to share this morning in closing. Last October, I had a goal that I wanted to get up at five in the morning. Sound like a great goal? Some of you are like, yeah, I mean, that's, you're up late, right? Not me, 6.30 as you usually get up. And uh, so I was praying about this goal, and, and as a matter of fact, I went to my wife and I said, hey, I think I have a goal where I want to get up at five so that I can have my quiet time with God, I can go to the gym, and I can be back to have family breakfast as the kids get off to school. And I'm like, I don't want to share with her because I know getting up at five may mess up the whole rhythm. And so I'm really skittish about sharing this goal. And I said, hey, here's my goal. And she was uh, blow-drying her hair at the time, stopped, and she was silent for a bit. And I'm like, oh, man, here it comes. She's just going to rain on my party. She said, I've been praying that you would have that type of goal for a long time. And it caught me, and I just started to have tears. And I was like, oh, my, God, you are in this, and you want me to partner with you to create a kind of future. So the number five was my goal. Two months, I got up. I went to the gym, had quiet time. And then all of a sudden, I started to get stiffness in my lower back and my back to the point I was dysfunctional. I could not function. So I I didn't know, am I having a heart attack because it was pinching the way it was? Went to a chiropractor, said, hey, you're really tight. You've got to stop swimming. You've got to stop running. And I'm like, oh, my word, my goal is now going out the window. I'm not going to be able to hit this goal. He just took me off of all of that. Well, I went to see a, um, uh, a physical therapist whose two words, by the way, are restoring alignment. And what happened is while I was with him, he measured my legs. And he said, hey, you actually have a leg shorter than the other. I said, well, what does that mean? He said, well, we'll put a lift in your shoe. We'll get you some orthotics. We'll put a lift in your shoe, and it'll take care of that back pain. He's like, has no one ever told you that? I was 47 at the time. I said, I had no idea, but I couldn't play college basketball. I mean, I always had problems with my back. He said, yeah, this will fix it. At the same time, I was setting a new goal in my life, and the goal was this. I wanted to take every step with God's presence in mind. Translated, I wanted to have friendship with God on a daily basis so that as I walked throughout my life, I had a sense of God's presence in my life. That was the goal I had set. I had no idea that God was going to meet me right in the middle of that. So, so here's what happened. My, um, my physical therapist, he, he said, hey, I'm going, to, I'm going to get you these custom orthotics. You guys familiar with these? So, yeah, I just took my shoe off. So he gave me these custom orthotics. I mean, he put my, my feet in foam. I had to wait two weeks, and then I had to go back to his house, and he had to cut them, and he was going to say, hey, you can put them in your shoes, and... He's sitting in this auditorium, by the way, and I just got to say, you lied to me. You said it'll only be two weeks that it'll hurt. He said, but you got to keep wearing them to the point that you'll feel so good that you want to sleep in them. And here was the lie. It was two months. It wasn't two weeks. Here's what happened in the middle of the goal. 
I set a goal, I want to take every step with Holy Spirit in mind. Excruciating pain every step for two months. Now here's what I'm not saying. Partnership and friendship with God is a pain. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, I set a goal, and the I am came right in the middle of that goal, and he met me in an intangible way and said, I am with you every step that you take. And I am grateful for my insoles. Yes, I can sleep in them now. They're amazing. I run in them now. But God is with me every step of the way, and I have a tangible reminder of his presence in my life. So no matter what goal, by the way, you won't want to shake my hand later. <laughs> no matter what goal you choose for the next 90 days, I'd encourage you to borrow the gratitude goal and take out a friend, a spouse, a coworker, and let them know how grateful you are, what you're thankful about their life. It's a great goal. But maybe you have another. Whatever your goal might be, here's the reality. God will come and be present with you, maybe even surprise you right in the middle of that goal. Let me say that again. Whatever goal you might choose to win with your life over the next 90 days, the I am, the God of the universe, will surprise you and come right in the middle of that and partner with you. Because he wants you to win with your masterpiece mission of life. And he wants you and I to win and help others win with their lives. So I want to invite you to take your next step. I want you to just name what step has been rising up in your heart. Maybe it's the responding to receive Jesus today. Maybe it's that gratitude thing that I mentioned. Or maybe it's a different goal that God's been speaking to you and you just needed the courage and the call to say, I want to do that because in doing that, I will win with my life in the next 90 days. I want you to name that step. And then you go out of this place and you share that step with somebody who's called accountability. And then you actually choose, here's the day when I'm going to start that step. And here's the day when I'm going to stop that step, December 31st. And all along the way, knowing that God wants to meet you in that place and partner with you. So, Father, I would ask right here, right now, would you awaken in our hearts a goal, a step? Would you help us to name that step? So I'm going to invite you to do that in the quietness of your heart. Right here, right now, name it. Now I'm going to invite you, who is that person that you're going to share that with today? Who is that person you're going to share it with today? And then, when are you going to start 
that goal. What is your goal? Who are you going to share it with? When are you going to start that? Amen.